Thanks so much for that Bible reading. Let's take a moment to pray and ask that the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to God. Jesus, we come to you. We recognise that there's a lot going on in our minds, in our hearts, whether it be triggered through the prayers that have been offered already, the time around your table, the songs that we've sung. And Lord, we ask not that those things be left behind, that we try and strip those things away, but that we bring all of us to you and that the words of our lips, the meditations of our hearts, the thoughts, the the emotions, that we can bring all of that to you and that you would do an amazing work in us as we spend time in your word and that we would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this morning, I'm going to be inviting some feedback um, partway through the message, and it's an opportunity where we can reflect a little bit on this particular life of this inspiring saint and some immediate sort of reflections or responses that you want to um, share with others as well. So, I'll race around with the microphone partway through. So, if, if there's something that stands out for you as we spend some time looking at this inspiring saint, that uh, it will be something that you might be able to capture, just tuck to one side, um, keep on listening, and uh, if there is something, we won't be able to have a chance to survey everyone, but we might be able to have a a bit of a a smattering of uh, your thoughts this morning. Sudan, just south of Egypt, has had its fair share of challenges over the years. Shifts in the 6th century from uh, Christian missionary influence to the rise of Islam. Tribal factions further complicate matters in this, at times, very war-torn country. Egypt's influence over Sudan became significant around the 1800s with investment in irrigation and with farming practices, especially in the area of cotton production. Yet running through the veins of this country was a major economic force, the slave trade. Egypt and North Sudan and the North Sudanese groups would move through the south and the southwest of the country for people, looking for people, women and girls to sell, men and boys to build an army. According to British explorer and abolitionist Samuel Baker, who visited Khartoum, the capital of Sudan in 1862, six decades after the British had declared slave trade illegal, slave trade was the industry that, as he said, that kept Khartoum going as a bustling town. During the heights of the slave trade raids in the southwest of Sudan, a village whose name has been lost in the violence and pain, and within this village, a family still shell-shocked by the last raid when one of their, old, their older daughter was ripped from her family, again has another life torn from them as their next eldest of three daughters, another of their sisters, is taken by the slave traders. For this young girl, around seven years of age, not quite sure, but might have been seven, might have been anything up to nine years of age, she was forced and marched along with other captives, 
some 900 kilometres to the marketplaces. And a, a distance of equivalence of being forced to mark, march over rocky terrain, arid wasteland, the distance similar to Melbourne to Sydney. Imagine that as a seven-year-old girl, bare feet. Thoughts during this long march carried her back two years earlier when her elder sister was taken from her family in a similar raid. The traumatic stress of the experience for such a young girl caused her to forget her name, her birth name. The name that this young girl carried throughout the rest of her life was not one which reminded her of a loving family, but was just one of the early marks, one of the many marks that she was to carry for the rest of her days. When asked, what is your birth name by one of her captors, she was not able to answer. So one of the slave traders named her Bakita, which in Arab, um, Arabic means fortunate or lucky. Over the next decade, it would be hard to, to comprehend a more mocking name than Lucky. Bakita was anything but Lucky. When she was bought and sold by various masters over the next 10 years, for three years with one slave owner, Bakita endured daily beatings. The wounds I received one day, she shares, would not be healed before others were added to the next without my knowing why. Customary in the day was to mark or tattoo the slaves in honour of their owners. Bakita was one of three slaves whose skin had not yet been marked. Bakita's Turkish owner's wife thought it was befitting that she would be held in such honour. A woman who is a specialist in tattooing scarification, or I believe what would be more appropriate to term torture, was called for. Bakita was the second to be tattooed, all the while watching the first endure such pain which ended in a pool of blood before Bakita in turn was pinned to the ground and stretched out. Flour was used to mark a pattern before a razor was used to cut 48 times on her right arm, six cuts to her chest and 60 on Lucky's stomach. Salt was then rubbed hard into each of the cuts, making them larger, remaining open for longer to scar the slave for life. Over the coming years, she was bought and sold again until around 14 years of age, she was finally purchased in 1883 by an Italian consul in Sudan, um, Callisto Lignani. Turkish and Egyptian influence in the region took a blow and the fall of Khartoum was as a result. And the change of economic and political fortunes in 1885 um, saw Lignani uh, move back to Italy with Bakita. With Lignani and her new master, Bakita experienced for the first time that orders could be given and instructions received without being accompanied by the lash. Lignani's friend, Augusto um, Michelli, 
and his wife asked Lagani if Bikita could remain with them. Bikita, around 18 years old, became the babysitter and later friend of Michelli's newborn daughter, Mamina, born in February of 1886. In 1888, business um, interests changed for Michelli and that meant that Mamina and Bakita, now around 19 years old, were entrusted to the Canossian sisters in Venice. It was there that Bakita came to know by name the creator God that she had yearned for in her heart without knowing him. Bakita tells that, seeing the sun, the moon and the stars, I said to myself, who could be the master of these beautiful things? And I felt a great desire to see him, to know him and to pay him homage. The winds of fortune changed again for Bikita when her master wanted to return with Bikita to Saban. For three days he pressed his case on why she should return with him. And finally, with the aid of the sisters and some good friends, on the 29th of November 1889, an Italian court ruled that because the British Empire had persuaded Sudan to outlaw slavery before Bikita's birth, and because Italian law also did not recognise slavery, Bikita had never been legally a slave. Thus, she was considered by the Italian courts to be free. On January 9, 1890, Bikita was baptised with the name of Josephine, Margaret and Fortunata, which in Latin translates for the Arabic Bikita. Lucky, fortunate. Then six years later, on the 8th of December in 1896, Bikita, now around 27 years of age, was consecrated forever to God, whom she called with affection the Good Master. This is truly an astonishing term, considering that she, in her formative years, had experienced the most traumatic treatment at the hands of her masters. For a further 50 years, this daughter of charity witnessed of God's love living in Scio, and she served there along with others, cooking, sewing, through embroidery and attending the door. It is said that when she was on the duty of the door, she would gently lay her hands on the head of the children who daily attended the Canossian schools with her amiable voice which had the inflection and the rhythm of the music of a country. It was pleasing to these little ones, comforting to the poor and suffering, and encouraging to those who knocked on the door. Her humility, her simplicity, and her constant smile won the hearts of all the citizens. And her sisters in the community revered her for her inalterable sweet nature, her exquisite goodness and her deep desire to make the Lord known, her gentleness, her calming voice, her ever-present smile became well known. The Vicenzians referred to her as Sor Moretta, 
little brown sister, or Madre Moreta, brown mother. In Bikita's diary, she writes, apparently in response to being asked by a young student, what would you do if you were to meet your captors? Without hesitation, she accounts of how she responded. If I were to meet the slave traders who kidnapped me, and even those who tortured me, I would kneel and kiss their hands. If what happened to me had never taken place, how would I become a Christian and a religious? As she grew older, she experienced long, painful years of sickness. Bikita continued to witness to her faith, to the goodness and to her Christian hope. To those who visited her and asked how she was, she would respond with a smile, as the Master desires. During her agony and the final years of her life, she relived terrible days of her slavery. And more than once she begged the nurse who assisted her, please loosen the chains, they are heavy. Bikita died at 8.10pm on February the 8th, 1947. For three days, her body lay on display while thousands of people arrived to pay their respects to this lady. Now, I want to pause for a moment, let you gather your thoughts and recall some of the, the story that you've heard this morning. And I'm going to invite you to share what stands out for you when it comes to this inspiring sight of Josephine Bikita. It could be just a couple of words. And as the mic, as I come around with the mic, remember that others might also want to share. It's not a message time, but it's just a, a time for you to, to um, share a little bit and also just be mindful that we are recording this as well. So as you think about the life of Bikita, what stands out? Oops. What stands out for you? as we hear about that. If you just want to raise up your hand, I'll come round. Thanks, John. God-given fortitude. God-given fortitude, yeah. Anyone else? Yep. I'll come back down the front. A lot of hope. A lot of hope. A genuine love of people. A genuine love of people. She saw that God had mapped out her life. Yep, she'd seen that God had mapped out her life. Yep, Clive? So much compassion. So much compassion, absolutely. Other thoughts? After much suffering, I think of the, um, that verse, joy comes in the morning. Yeah. Her patient endurance. Patient endurance, yep. Anyone else? Her amazing forgiveness. Yeah. That God holds the key to all unknown and I'm glad. That God holds the key to all unknown and known and I'm glad. Yep. I'll just slide through here, Julie. Her ability to forgive. Her ability to forgive, yeah. Isn't that amazing? 
Her choice not to be a victim. Yep, her choice not to be a victim. All right. Thanks so much for that. For me, as I took some time to reflect on both the, the life of Bikita and what God might be saying and, and passages in the Bible that uh, her life reminded me of. I was reminded of those few verses from Psalm 19, where we have in Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4, the heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word, their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. And despite the horrors of her adolescence and her early teenage years, some of the most formative years of Bikita's life, Bikita made room for Yahweh God in her life. Seeing the sun and moon, Bikita says, and the stars, I said to myself, who could be the master of these beautiful things? And I felt a great desire to see him to know him and to pay him homage. For us today, it is so easy for us to get lost in the pain of suffering that we experience. When we face loss and grief and death and even the slow death of a dream, we can be filled with doubt. But the psalmist and Bikita call us to look beyond and look to the heavens for God. And when I know that in myself, in my own humanity, I just want to scream out and ask the question, why? Why is this happening? What's going on? The story of Bikita and her life challenges me instead to worship, to know him and to pay him homage. Bikita also made room for God's renewing. Not only did Bikita accept Jesus as her saviour, saving her from her past, her sins, her failures, but through the power of the Holy Spirit in, in Bikita's life, the power of God was able to renew her, renew her thinking. This is not about some form of denial about past atrocities that Bikita was subject to. It wasn't about pretending that they'd never happened. It's not some memory-erasing program or things that we speak in hushed tones, never to speak of again. But rather, the miracle of God in Bikita's life was the renewing of her mind. That rather than seeing the term master evoking such shocking experiences, she was able to, prepared to, willing to, see the term renewed and allow Jesus to be her master and willing to live a life of service to him. Once again, we hear from Bikita these words. I have given everything to my master. He will take care of me. The best thing for us is not what we consider best, but what the Lord, her master, wants of us. Paul in Romans chapter 12 talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. For some, it's a lifelong journey, and that's okay. Even for Bikita, she carried the weight of those chains and scars to her final breath. 
The Holy Spirit is still at work and wants to be um, invited into the renewing of our minds to make room for God's Spirit to be at work, renewing our minds and transforming our past, transforming us. Another thing that stands out for me is there's a story in the Old Testament that you may have heard. This girl received just a passing glance, but it's a significant one. She was also stolen from her family, stolen by another nation, but she made room for healing, not hate. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, we read this account in the Old Testament. The king of Aram had a great admiration, had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. Now this wasn't just some gentle invitation. The Aramean raiders were known for their cruelty at times and their atrocity. And this young Israelite girl amongst the captives would have seen families around her slaughtered. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what this young girl from Israel had said. It was another time, it was another place and another girl was taken captive, ripped from her homeland as the spoils of war. She'd seen her family, her people murdered. Yet for Naaman's slave, this young girl was able to make room for healing, not hate. Rather than celebrating the misfortunes of her captors, she was able to find healing not only in her own life, but she also sought to be a vessel, a conduit of God's healing, not hate, in the lives of those around her. Bakita testifies, The Lord has loved me so much, We must love everyone. We must be compassionate. And when asked how she would respond to those who took her from her family and made her a slave, if I were to meet the slave traders who kidnapped me and even those who tortured me, I would kneel and kiss their hands. If what happened to me had never taken place, how would I become a Christian? On the 3rd of September this year, Lynette spoke about having love without limits and Naaman's slave girl and Bikita are both those who embody this living value. It's so easy to make room for hate, give it that nice warm spot in our lives and feed it. But for me, Bikita inspires me to make room for healing, not hate. To make room for renewing of my mind in my past hurts that I may have experienced. And we can try and do that by ourselves. But the greatest thing that Bakita reminds us of is that it all starts with a relationship with Yahweh God, seeking Him to be in our life and also desiring to honour Him as well. This morning you've heard from me. You've also heard from Bakita 
And my prayer is today that most importantly you've heard something from God. But what is our response to that? I want to leave it open. There's going to be some music played. And if you want to grab those um, circle um, brochures, our newsletter, and inside that you've got our response card. If you'd like to take a moment to pull those out and, and write a prayer of response, whether it's a, a response of wanting to make room for God in your life, whether you want to invite God to, to take up some room, to space, um, for the renewing of your mind, to make room for the healing of past hurts. Let's take time. Let's make room for God today. God bless you. Thank you.